As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is the Tribune Audio Network. My name is Patrick Clark. I'm on an American road trip traveling across these United States of America into the presidential libraries, museums, and more along the way. It's a modern-day journey cross-country into our shared American history. Join us as we look into the lives of the first families and last stops and stories that make up this nation. You never know what we'll find when we go digging into the National Archives and who we'll meet next. These are the presidential libraries, museums, and more that might surprise you. Hello again, I'm Patrick Clark. And I'm Teresa Pauly. Teresa, you are the, uh, your position for anybody who doesn't know, you're kind of our newsroom manager. Operations manager, so kind of get a little bit of everything. So one of those things that I do is help you plan trips when you go on these adventures around. I mean, I, I call them trips and adventures. It's work. You're reporting. Yes. You know, we, sometimes we forget that or <laughs> I think it feels like you're going on adventures, you're exploring. Mm-hmm. these libraries mm-hmm. um, across the country. You've been to quite a few places. Yes. St. Louis uh, is kind of our starting point. Um, we both work for stations KPLR, News 11, and KTVI, Fox 2 in St. Louis. And Teresa helps coordinate these with me so we can tell these American stories. And took a trip to Boston to the JFK Presidential Library Museum. And now, is that... Does that sit on the water? Right on the water, right there, and okay. there in Boston Harbor, and um, it is—it's right where the Atlantic Ocean kind of kind of comes in there. It's a beautiful, beautiful spot. I think Kennedy would have loved this location because because he loved the water. Yeah, he there's his boat, his sailboat. His boat is there. Usually, it's like May through November they put it out because it's obviously wintertime is a little too harsh on it but you can go out get your picture taken with it see it actually sitting in the water in the harbor. no it's no. Sit, it's sitting out just um a, you know near near it okay. near the shoreline and that is his his boat the victura is the name of it this was his sailboat that it, he named it it's supposed to mean she who is about to conquer in latin victura v-i-c-t-u-r-a it's a subject latin that he did not do very well yeah, in school. Uh, he didn't do very well in a lot of <laughs> academics early on. Yeah, I think it was more, um, uh, he maybe didn't apply himself uh, at an early age like any of us. Right, yeah, I can identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, there, I, the thing is for, for me about the John F. Kennedy and, and Jack Yellow, they're so much larger than life, don't you feel? Absolutely. I just, I remember back to my childhood. Yeah. And I mean, there were, I was born five years after he was assassinated, but he was still so big, so mm-hmm. there. So, you know, we had a book, I remember it was called Four Days. 
and back, you know, I was on the internet back then. So, you know, you'd look over the same books all mm -hmm. the time. And it was mainly pictures mm -hmm. of the four days when, you know, when he was in Dallas and shot and, and, and going to, I suppose the funeral happened that fast too. That timeline. Yeah. 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 It just didn't, I remember looking, you know, they're beautiful, both of them, you know, and just, mm -hmm. but then feeling that, you know, you see the documentation through that book. That always struck me so much, but it was always, they're very prominent, I think, in, in our society. Yeah. Even back then, late 60s, early 70s, today, I right. mean, it's carried on, right? Right, right. And that's one of the things that uh, is very interesting about that library and museum in Boston is that it celebrates his life and tells you not just his presidential years, but his early years, what kind of a, what shaped him, the, the people in his life and the, and, uh, I like to think of him as the young man in the sea. All right. He did love that. That was what he did is like his love was sailing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then he was, of course, in World War II. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a distinguished career in public service. And uh, when you first walk in that to the exhibit areas there, they have a coconut on display. Coconut. Okay. <laughs> it's the coconut that changed the history of, of, of our world. Okay, I think that's a story we need to tell. So in high school, he was a bit of an underachiever. <laughs> and he was really smart and excelled at the subjects that interested him, like English and history, anything having to do with politics and world affairs. He was always interested in those things. But in Latin and algebra and French, he really didn't um, do very well. And so we have one of his report cards uh, that shows kind of very mediocre grades. What's most notable, I think, is in public speaking, he got a C minus. Those who deny freedom to others, said Abraham Lincoln, deserve it not for themselves. He thought it was an important tool of leadership to be a good speaker, to be able to motivate people and mobilize them. And so it's something that he really worked on um, as he grew up and um, decided on a political career. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. He served in World War II um, in the Navy, and it was really one of the formative experiences of his life. He was commander of a PT boat in the Solomon Islands on patrol one night, a very dark night, August 2nd, 1943. His boat was rammed and sunk by a big Japanese destroyer. Instantly, two of his men died. For the rest of the night, they clung to uh, remaining a remnant of the boat. And at daylight, they decided, or he decided, he's still commander of the crew, decided that the best thing would be to swim to the nearest island, which is about three miles away. So one of his crewmen was so badly burned that he couldn't swim. So JFK took in his mouth the, the belt of this man's life vest and towed him all the way to the island, three miles, um, swimming that way. For the next several days, about six days, JFK uh, at night, he would swim out with the hope of intercepting another American boat um, who would come to their rescue. But because their boat was sunk, um, the report was that there were no survivors. So uh, nobody did, there was no rescue uh, mission. 
Finally, after six days, um, JFK encountered uh, two Native Islanders in a canoe, and they showed him how to carve a message into a coconut husk, and they took that message um, to the Australian Coast Watchers about 40 miles away, and that's what ultimately led to their rescue. That piece of coconut, um, JFK later uh, had it turned into a paperweight, and it was on his desk um, wherever he was, in the Senate office, it was in the Oval Office, and it was really, we know, one of, the, one of his prized possessions. Coconut, yeah, the coconut changed the course of history. So this is a message from the surviving crew members of the Japanese destroyer that sunk his boat in 1943. And in 1961, when President Kennedy was inaugurated, they sent this message of congratulations to the new president. The sea is all around us. It is part of our lives. We should master it. We should know about it. And I'm glad that the United States is committed to this great effort. So that's a fascinating story. A near-death experience, almost dying in the ocean, but that didn't deter him. He still had that love of the ocean. Right. I mean, yeah, sailing. You saw pictures of the family always out together mm -hmm. on, on the water. And and I think what's cool about it is like that, that coconut, he always had that with him. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that he got it back was very cool. Yeah. And the, and the idea, I mean, who knew? I mean, I mean, you were there, I guess, but you see that this was like a message in a bottle. It was a message in a coconut. Yeah. It saved their lives, really. Yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> as well as all of the, the what went on on the water during the rescue. Yeah, the member, he and his crew, that they that they survived that. I mean, it was the heroic efforts. He got a, a a purple heart for that. He did get, yeah, yeah. he has a purple heart. Yeah. I That's, wonder how many presidents have purple hearts. We'll look that up. Yeah, maybe that'll be in the next one. But, but uh, you know, very uh, heroic effort that maybe, I don't know, maybe it was, was paving the way for his leadership later. Oh, I think absolutely, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it kind of makes you think about life and, you know, you ah, see student, you know, or oh, I, don't, I don't know if that's what he was exactly, but, you know, anybody can rise to greatness. Yes, yes, anybody can rise to greatness if you apply yourself. Yeah. Uh, that was, we heard from uh, Stacy Redhaw, the curator, or the curator there at the time of the, at the JFK Library and Museum. She's, She's the one that was telling us the story about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because when you walk in, you think, this is coconut behind glass. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. But how cool. And he had it on his desk yeah. in the Oval Office and yeah. throughout his life. Right. Mm. It, I just, to me, both JFK and Jackie were just so larger than life, you know. I, I mean, you read about them in books and you see them, and, but their influence was huge. I, as a kid, I had a family member who had a bust of JFK that was a, like a life size. So oh, you'd wow. walk in this room and like, <laughs> and he stared at you. But, you know, it, it, then you're like, well, who is this? What is this? Is it? Right. They have, at the library, they have like 60, 65 dresses of hers that looked timeless on display. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She was, and she was such an elegant, beautiful lady. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think everybody, <laughs> I don't know. I wanted to be her. I mean, I've been, I'm sure other people too, but I mean, one thing, my history, I was a photographer mm -hmm. for 25 years, which is one. scary. Well, I was, yeah, I've worked with a very good reporter for a lot of uh -huh. years too, but we'll stop that. 
Um, but it was actually, I remember a picture of her that I saw, and I think it was like in either Life or Look or one of those magazines. Mm-hmm. And she was she was taking a photograph of an, a woman in the water. And I actually Googled it the other day and found it. Um, and it was, because I remember, that's always been in my head. And that was, she was taking a picture. She worked, she worked for the Washington Herald Times, I oh. think, at the time. And I think it was 1952. But, um, you know, I, I thought, wow, that's what I want to do. And so she, I, so she influenced you to become a photojournalist? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that really was something that from a very early age, you know, seeing that, I mean, I don't know, 10 years old, maybe. And it was, that's what I wanted to do. And it's not like I picked up a camera right then, but it was always in my head. And, and yes, you know, throughout my life. Um, and well, and now said, we start talking about this. Well, you sent me that picture. And mm-hmm. what I what I took from it was interesting. Is she's in the water with the woman, like she's standing in the water, right, right, with her capris on, and, and and but yeah, it was you know then the future first lady. Yeah, yeah, it was just something that is. She was so elegant, and you know they were Camelot. Yeah. You know, yeah, they. You know, I think a lot of people were taken by them, uh, in, including uh, a guy I met outside of St. Louis. There is a, a location that you could, if you're taking your own road trip, mm-hmm. it's off uh, Route 66 or Route 66, whatever you prefer, route, route, tomato, tomato. Tomato, <laughs> potato. Uh, it's called the Opera House of Pacific in okay. Pacific, Missouri. Which is about, what, 40 minutes west of St. Louis? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, about 44. Yeah. And um, there's a gentleman out there. They, they uh, This was built, this, this place was built um, in the early part of the 20th century, this building built from materials from the St. Louis World's Fair. Ah. And on the top floor is a, is a beautiful ballroom that, you know, it was the ball, vaudeville circuit. People would come through here. But also of interest in this building, there's a number of paintings. And among them, there's one of JFK that is unfinished. Not, and why not, why not unfinished? It was started before he was assassinated. Okay. And the artist, after after that, it, it, I think it was just so much that he walked away, left it as is. Huh. And did you, is he still around? The artist is not, but okay. his, his nephew is. Okay. A gentleman named Jim McHugh, and he was kind enough to let us come in and see these paintings. He's got uh, presidential portraits of every president he, he worked on these for 40 years. Wow. Well, this is a building that was built by my grandfather uh, from materials from the 1904 World's Fair. The railroads were expanding west through St. Louis. And Pacific was one of the first stops because uh, this is how far a steam engine would go from St. Louis before it needed to be refueled and rewatered. So. These towns built up along the railroad, they called them jerkwater towns because they jerked the water down to the engines. The Opera House Pacific was barned, and here's where the vaudeville shows began to uh, move through the communities, and they always looked for these kind of houses where they could. Uh, where they could play and demonstrate their skills. 
This is called the President's Room, and uh, it has all the, the modern presidents in it, from uh, Teddy Roosevelt on to President Clinton. And Joe, the artist, uh, died after the Clinton administration, and that ended, of course, the series of paintings. But he spent 40 years painting all the presidents, starting with with uh, President Washington all the way up to Clinton. The gentleman who painted these was your uncle. Yes, that's right. Uh, Joseph? Joseph McHugh. He was trying to capture uh, much of the uh, spirit of the of the day. And so he brought in, there's ladies and they're behind every president. And they're not particularly associated with the president. They're more there to reflect the style of the day, how the women dressed during his administration. Like all of us, he was fascinated by John Fitzgerald Kennedy. I, I, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, do solemnly swear that you will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. We all were taken, I think, by the idea of Camelot and that whole uh, story that uh, engulfed the President Kennedy's administration. It got a lot of us at that time young men and women very interested in politics, and many of us entered, got active politically because of that. And Joe was obviously no exception to that. He was very fascinated with the Kennedy administration and with the personality of John Kennedy particularly. And so he decided to paint a separate painting of John Kennedy, but in this one he was doing it as a special project, and he started painting Kennedy, which I think is one of his best paintings. And he uh, was about three quarters of the way finished with the painting when John Kennedy was assassinated. And he just stopped painting at that time. And so if you notice in that painting, it's uh, partially finished. And he just said, he, he called it the unfinished painting because it, was an unfinished administration, an unfinished young man who had great ideas for the country. Together, let us explore the stars, conquer the deserts, eradicate disease, tap the ocean depth, and encourage the arts and commerce. Because this building is so unique, in the sense that it's practically all made from materials from the 1904 World's Fair, and was really an idea that my grandfather was and his partner, James Daly, were kind of inspired to do because they were young men and enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and they went to the fair. They were all just uh, overcome by the excitement of the fair. And so they came out here, and they bought... Uh, all the material that he'd get, 11 carloads worth of ornamentals and material from the fair and brought them out here and hired an architect and built this building on it. So it, it has the spirit of the fair in it, it seems to me. So that's Jim McHugh. He is the co-owner and entrepreneur there out in Pacific, Missouri. He was the nephew of 
Joseph McHugh, who painted those presidential portraits for 40 years. 40 years, wow. Yeah. Who was this last president then that he painted? Clinton. He passed away when, uh, during the Clinton administration. So that's, that's as far as he got. Uh, it started with George Washington. Oh, okay. And they're pretty impressive. You know, it, it, he talks about they had that in each one. There's a picture of a lady in the background. Mm-hmm. And that was, I guess he wanted to show the, the dress of the day, what there was the popular fashion. So just women that not necessarily a specific woman. Yeah. It's the different styles throughout the year. Right. Here's what they wore during Woodrow Wilson's administration. Yeah. And they have them all there. They've not sold them or. No, they're all there. They're all there. Yeah. You can, you can see them. They have, they have a, a brew house there on the first floor and uh, they do I think banquets and things like that. And, yeah. and on that third floor. Oh, the, the band we heard is a St. Louis band called the Gaslight Squares. And out at the Opera House of Pacific on Sundays, they do music like from the 1900s through the big band there in 1940s. So oh, very cool. Every Sunday you might go out there and hear like uh, ragtime or uh, you know, different bluegrass or whatever it might be. And get a little taste of uh, presidential history then too. Yeah. And is it, what is painted on the outside of that building? Oh, a big mural, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. You've been. You've I've, been I've there, actually right? been there. I'll yeah, pretending like I haven't. <laughs> no, I've been there, and, and it is very. It's really, really cool. It's, it's got a painting of the you know the World's Fair because that's where the, uh, a lot of the the materials for that building came from. The nineteen oh four World's Fair. Are, around St. Louis, a lot of buildings have that. Yeah, yeah. That was a huge thing for St. Louis, and, and they tore it all down, and then <laughs> it was scrap. It was. Repurposing. Upcycling back (laughs) in 1904. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been around. So that's anything new. Yeah. That building opened in 1908. So they they put that, put that together. And, and anyway, you mentioned that uh, there's, there's a really beautiful painting on the outside about, you know, talking about the world's here, uh, world fair, world's fair. World's fair. And uh, there's a, there's a painting of Harry Truman. And when Harry Truman was running for office, he was a piano player. And he would do the circuit and go campaign, and he stopped in Pacific, and there is a piano right. on the third floor. I've seen that piano, yeah. Harry Truman played that piano, and he played the Missouri Waltz, which I'm told he really disliked, because everywhere he went, they would say, play the Missouri Waltz. Yeah, he was probably sick of it, right? right. It's probably like Led Zeppelin and Stairway to Heaven. Right. Yeah, no. <laughs> Harry Truman's, that was Harry Truman's. Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> I think I played chopsticks on it when I was up there, and I got a couple of eyebrows raised at me. But no, but it was yeah. It is. It's a really, it's a really neat place if you get a, a chance to go out there and, and and the live music on Sundays. You know, so, just off Route sixty six, yeah. Route sixty six. Yeah. So it, it you know, I, I think um, it, it's it's off our beaten path, but it, it pertains to what we're doing, especially mm-hmm. talking about JFK and his influence on generations of people and Jackie. Absolutely. Onassis' influence on on people, you know, that uh, on, on so many, so many generations. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, even to this day. I mean, I just, like, when we were talking before about looking up the picture, I started scrolling through just images, and I mean, still so current. And I think that's what, they're almost timeless in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, that we can bring them in. If you, I don't know, maybe you just... I'm getting to be that certain age, but it just seems like they're timeless. They'll always be current. Mm. 
Yeah, when he said he said the, the unfinished man. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, have that gives me so very true. Yeah, it. right. Yeah. What if? What if? Yeah. Very interesting. Well, uh, you know, we were talking about JFK. We're talking about uh, photography, and you mm-hmm. mentioned Jackie Go. Uh, there's a gentleman I met at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum who has an exhibit or had an exhibit that um, uh, pictures of JFK. And this is, he's done this both at the JFK Library and Museum in Boston. Okay. And then he's, he's curated this and uh, it uh, has been running at the Lincoln Library. And in those, Springfield, in Illinois. Yes. And those two are obviously connected, Lincoln and JFK. Right. So there was a gentleman I met named Lawrence Schiller who got a chance to follow young John Fitzgerald Kennedy when he was running for office. Wow. So he was a journalist? Journalist. Photographer. Okay. And so he has thousands of pictures to choose from that really paint an intimate portrait of the Kennedys. Is he Ken? Was he the, there's always a presidential Photographer, right? He was wasn't the, that. Yeah, no, he was on the campaign trail. So oh, he okay. covered both Nixon and uh, Kennedy when they were running. Oh, wow. And he was he was a witness to history. Larry Schiller is just an amazing man. The curator at this exhibit, but you look at his life and career, it's, uh, it's several movies, just his life. Well, the database we put together at JFK Photographs had 43,000 photographs in it. Knowing the life of JFK, because I, as a working photographer, photographed most of his life and his brother and, and uh, Richard Nixon, uh, it wasn't difficult to put together the exhibition of 77 of the most important photographs that tell us the untold story of JFK. I am today announcing my candidacy for the presidency of the United States. We uh, obviously talk a lot about Abraham Lincoln here, an important topic, and we exist to preserve and pass on that legacy, but also we talk more generally about the presidency and American history, and certainly the presidency of uh, President Kennedy was extraordinarily important, uh, and we want to talk about that. This exhibit does a great job of doing that. Some of them are iconic images we've seen before, but a lot of them are kind of behind the scenes, things you've never seen. When JFK decided to run for the presidency of the United States, Paris Match assigned me to photograph the next president of the United States. The presidency is the most powerful office in the free world. Through its leadership can come a more vital life for all of our people. In it are centered the hopes of the globe around us for freedom and a more secure life. All of Europe and all the publications around the world were sure that Richard Nixon would just walk all over JFK. Senator Kennedy's position and mine are completely different. So I was with Richard Nixon, and therefore I was with Richard Nixon in the Ambassador Hotel. Uh, the night of the election, and then at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, uh, Nixon decided uh, to concede the election. Of course, I made that iconic picture of him at the podium at the Ambassador Hotel with the tear dropping from Pat's eye. The irony was, you know, eight years later, I'd be at that same podium uh, just moments before uh, Robert Kennedy was killed in the kitchen just off of that in the same hotel. This was the golden age of photojournalism, and photographers were the educators of the world. Everyone is voting for Jack Cause he's got what all the rest lack Everyone wants to back Jack 
Jack is on the right track. But in the 60s, you know, we had uh, Paul Newman. Uh, we had Clint Eastwood. Uh, you know, and we had JFK. So they were the modern men of the second half of the 20th century. Picking Lyndon Johnson as the vice president so that he could have the Southern vote for sure, especially Texas. There's this wonderful picture of JFK campaigning with Lyndon Johnson, who understood everything. And what Lyndon Johnson forgot, Kennedy would never learn. Well, I think this is an exhibit that shows you a period of time that probably will never be replaced in American history. There are those connections in terms of what would have happened if they've been able to live on. And then, of course, there are other, other things. I realize when I'm walking through this show, the presence of children in the White House. You see the kids running around with the Kennedy family. Lincoln had the same thing with Tad and Willie running around and playing soldier and all that in the White House Hall. So there's all these connections. I have a direct connection with Abraham Lincoln that very few people know. I was one of the few people that saw Abraham Lincoln speak to everybody. In early 1961 or 62, I got a phone call from a gentleman by the name of Walt Disney, who I had just done a major story on. And he says, Larry, come on down here. I want to show you something called animatronics. We're doing this big exhibit for the Disneyland now. So I walked into this room, and as I walked down the hall, I heard Abraham Lincoln giving me the Gettysburg Address. And then I walked into the room, and there was Lincoln standing there, alive, lit, as if he was on stage giving the Gettysburg Address. And I photographed the Life magazine, the first animatronics that Disney designed. Cause he's got high hopes. He's got high hopes. So we just heard from Lawrence Schiller, the photographer and uh, curator of that exhibit. He's, his work has been shown at the JFK Library, at the Presidential Library and Museum in Boston. But this exhibit, uh, was actually uh, at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. We also heard from Alan Lowe, who's the director of that library and museum. And it's just fascinating. Yeah. Like, the, it, to chronicle, you know, that part of history. Yeah. And the, and the, I just think that the photographs and pictures are so strong, you know, in, in with that, that we still look at them today. I mean, you know, of course, but... Um, and the music. You told me a story about the High Hopes. I mean, oh, Sinatra. The, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, no, that song, of course. I yeah. mean, I have, we sang it all the time with kids, and yeah. probably still do today. I don't know. I mean, you know, everybody kind of knows that song. Yeah. But Oops, and that's there Sinatra goes sing- another uh, Robert 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 yeah. 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 Frank Sinatra. Uh, he changed the lyrics for his High Hopes hit song, and made it a campaign song for Jack Kennedy or John. Yeah, it's Gerald Kennedy, and uh, but he never he, he didn't put his name on it, so he wasn't credited. But ever, I mean, you know that's Sinatra. The Camelot again comes in now, and I mean Sinatra is bigger than back then, you know. Yeah. So, but then what about tell me another story? You oh well, you know this talking about friends and, and family. I mean, that's to me also what these presidential libraries and museums visits right. have been because. Along the way, I've, I've got to see extended family <laughs> across the country. Yours and presidential <laughs> extended family in right, your own. Right, right, right. The uh, first families, uh, you know, yeah. all those folks. But on this one to Boston, my aunt and uncle, uh, after I was done shooting, we went to the Union Oyster House, 
there in Boston. In Boston. And it is the oldest restaurant in Boston and the oldest restaurant in continuous service in America. Wow. That's their claim. Since what? Yeah. In the U.S., they say the doors have always been open to diners since 1826. Wow. And, and when you walk in there, it's so full of history, as is Boston. Yeah, right. But they have a booth, the Kennedy booth. He used to go there and he'd get like lobster bisque and yeah. oyster stew and all this. And can you sit in that booth? Or no, it's, no, it's set for him yeah. how it was. Yeah. 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 Okay. You can sit near it. Oh, that's really <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was really fun being able to uh, soak up that history. And then, and, and then, and what's also interesting is going through old family photos, trying to find, it's like, oh, I remember we went to Washington DC and then, and I came across photos when we, as a kid had gone to the JFK presidential library and museum. I'm standing out in front of the sign as, as a young child. So this wasn't your first run at it. <laughs> I didn't remember you it. You didn't remember it. No. How old do you think you were about? Well, I believe it opened in 1979. And so I was uh, I was just a young lad. Yeah, we, you know, had to get specific. <laughs> yeah, but, but very, I was a very young lad. And so I remember thinking that that day I was there shooting the material and doing the interviews and, and, and thinking, this seems familiar. Uh-huh. But I don't know. Maybe it's whatever. Yeah. Deja vu. Right. Little did I know, my folks had taken me there years ago. Interesting. And it was, you know, yeah, Kennedy. So, so much of them is familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, a, you know, you've part been, of your life. Yeah. Yeah. So that maybe this adventure you felt like you'd been on a little bit before. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Retracing your steps in American history as well. Right. And then getting to the next one. Yeah. And then we'll see where the next adventure is. There's more, more to come. Uh, we want to say a very special thank you to the JFK, the John Fitzgerald Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum in beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. The Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum in fantastic Springfield, Illinois. And of course, the Opera House in Pacific, Missouri. Well, that one might be one that I can probably get to sooner. <laughs> and But I mean, you know, I'm starting to put my pins out on the uh, map is where I, uh, things that I want to go and see a little bit of what you've seen and take in some of that history and, and adventure. More adventures to come. We'll see you next time. I'm Patrick Clark. And I'm Teresa Foley. the Tribune Audio Network.